My name is Vikram, and I'm your host for today's White Coat Story. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. David H. Chafee, Associate Professor of Musculoskeletal Oncology and Orthopedic Trauma at University of New Mexico School of Medicine. He is also the Fellowship Director for Trauma and Oncologic Reconstruction there. Dr. Chafee got his medical degree from the Ponce School of Medicine in Puerto Rico. He completed his orthopedic residency at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. He then went on to complete a fellowship in orthopedic trauma at Sonoran Orthopedic Trauma Surgeons in Scottsdale, Arizona. He then got a second fellowship in musculoskeletal oncology at the University of Texas Anderson Cancer Center. Don't miss hearing about Dr. Chafee's early inspiration for medicine as a calling and his insights into a day in the life of an orthopedic surgeon. His Twitter handle is at DavidCMD. Now, on to the podcast. Hi, Dr. Chafee. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Hi, Vikram. Thanks for, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, first question, in simple words. What type of medicine do you practice, and what does that type of doctor do? Yes. Well, I am an orthopedic surgeon, and orthopedic surgery is a branch of surgery concerned with the musculoskeletal system. So we treat different conditions, not always with surgery, but related to trauma, uh, chronic conditions, infections, and even certain types of tumors. Oh, wow. So do you work with neurosurgeons a lot for, like, brain tumors? Uh, We do work with neurosurgeons. Uh, Orthopedic surgeons uh, overlap with neurosurgeons because they'll treat some conditions in the spine similarly. Neurosurgeons uh, have an important uh, job, and and they're the only ones trained to deal with injuries to the skull and the brain. So, um, but... When it comes to tumors in the spine, uh, orthopedic surgeons are also uh, trained to deal with those types of conditions. So, so yes, we do work together. So uh, since you're an orthopedic surgeon, do you normally have all of your patients referred to you by their primary care doctors, or do you have some patients who come directly to you? Well, patients come to see me in many different ways, and when patients have uh, a condition that needs attention but it's not quite urgent, uh, they may choose to go to their primary doctor first if if they have access to one. And some patients can call my office and schedule an appointment, and we can do it that way. But a lot of patients come directly to the hospital if they have a severe urgent condition or or something uh, pretty acute like a like a car accident so uh, some patients I actually just meet on the day that I'm on call in the hospital and I'd say that's the way I meet most of my patients do you work in the ER at all I do work in an emergency room. We, we, uh, we work at a hospital, and some hospitals have a special function within the city, and the hospital where I work is uh, designated as a trauma center. 
and trauma centers have uh, resources and specialists around you know 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week to deal with emergencies. So including neurosurgeons and many other types of specialists, we, we evaluate patients in the emergency room and sometimes we do emergency surgeries as a team. So what made you want to become a surgeon and a doctor for that matter? Well, great question. I think that it's, um, for me, it was a process. Um, I don't think that uh, when I was in middle school, I, I had a plan or an idea of, of what I wanted to do. Uh, I think that I can answer that in sort of two different uh, ways um, because uh, once you're in medical school, you sort of uh, get the experience of, of uh, getting a, a small taste of each specialty. But uh, my decision to become a doctor uh, was influenced by my grandparents. My grandparents uh, were both physicians and they were very influential in my life and uh, I think that I looked up to them, admired them and loved them very much and that made me have an initial interest in medicine and uh, I think once I got to college and started taking science classes and uh, realized I was, I was good at it because I was interested in it, I decided to apply for medical school. Were there any other uh, figures in your life that made you want to become a physician or just your grandparents? Both of them um, were very influential, yes, primarily. Uh, but one of the interesting things is that my grandmother and her sisters um, were all doctors. So I had uh, uh, sort of the... Is, uh, very fortunate to have a lot of influential people and see that, that they um, were able to become doctors through hard work and discipline and, and they were uh, very strict, very loving people. And I think that that had a big impact on me and seeing that they could become doctors uh, sort of inspired me to pursue that field. So uh, my grandparents and certainly um, my grandmother's uh, sisters who were also doctors had a, a huge impact on, on sort of my decision towards medicine. Yeah, I guess that uh, there are a lot of people in my family who are doctors, and they're the ones who kind of inspired me to go towards medicine when I was younger. And uh, I guess I just gradually started liking sciences and math more, and it all made sense. Yes, it's awesome when people that, that are around you inspire you to, to, to achieve more. It, it, it certainly lets you know that if, if you want to uh, go that way, that you have somebody who can offer advice and encouragement uh, as you uh, go along your career. Was there any particular aspect of medicine that you found particularly desirable? You know, I think I, I had different interests upon starting medical school. I can't tell you that I knew I was going to be a surgeon before medical school or, or even the first two years. So the first two years of medical school are, are very sort of science-based uh, classroom work. And until you get to your third year, you don't really get much exposure to people and patients and seeing how that knowledge actually comes into play. So uh, when I first started medical school, uh, physiology, which is kind of the study of how different systems in the body work, I thought that was very fascinating. Even for a while, I, I liked even the, 
the heart uh, and the cardiac system, how that worked. And um, maybe I, I even considered if that was going to be a path for me. So later on, I, I started understanding what the different types of fields and subspecialties do. And I certainly gravitated towards surgical procedures in my third year of medical school. Wow. So now that you are a doctor, what's an average day like for you? Well, an average day can vary, and since the coronavirus pandemic, there are, there are no more average days. Uh, but I'll, um, prior to that, uh, I had a schedule, and uh, I would have surgery scheduled on Mondays and Wednesdays on people that I've already met and agreed uh, to do their surgery. So Mondays and Wednesdays, I'd spend most of my day in the operating room. On Tuesdays, Thursdays, I would be in my clinic, but I have two different sites where I work, uh, and I would meet patients, meet new patients, uh, meet uh, established patients, people who are recovering from surgeries and injuries, and just check on them and talk to them and, and review their test results. So those are clinic days. Um, and then on Fridays, I would alternate between teaching responsibilities and sometimes uh, some clinics and, and, and some uh, emergency surgery. So I, Fridays, I would have a little bit of flexibility depending on the time of the year uh, so that I could do what was um, most needed at that time. You mentioned that you teach classes. What made you want to teach classes? So I, I am in I, I I'm a surgeon, but I work in an academic center, and I think that when uh, when my when part of my responsibility is to teach students, it forces me to stay current and prepared and sort of up to date on the latest trends within our field. And uh, having this knowledge and being able to help patients is very satisfying, but having this knowledge and getting better at it through interactions with students is also very satisfying. And, and I can have an impact on my patients that I meet directly, but I may also have an impact on the patients that my students will treat later on. So we train orthopedic surgeons as part of a residency program, and that's, those are my primary, my, my primary teaching responsibilities. Do you feel that as a teacher it makes your job easier, your, the surgeon, being a surgeon, because you said uh, you keep up to date on new technologies? I don't know if I would say it's easier. I think it's a challenge that I enjoy and I look forward to. So I don't I don't get bored with my job uh, because I might be doing a surgery that I've done before, but my student has never seen that type of surgery. They may have read about it, but showing somebody for the first time how uh, how to help other people with different procedures or diagnosing a rare condition that is always uh, very uh, gratifying I would say so and we get new students uh, every year and we have students graduate from our program every five years did you ever see yourself becoming a teacher when you were younger I can't say that, that concretely, no. I think that it's something that uh, I had a lot of teachers that in, that encouraged me and inspired me. So certainly um, being able to do that for other people is, is, some, is something that I, once I had the opportunity to do it, I realized I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, 
but not necessarily that I see that. I didn't know that applying, you know, applying to medical school that I would be able to do both, that I could be a surgeon and uh, also a, a teacher or a clinical instructor at the same time. So I didn't know that how doctors combined sort of their care and their skills sort of when they found a job. Yeah, definitely. Between teaching and being a surgeon, what's the most challenging part of your work? You know, uh, teaching, I, I don't say, I wouldn't say it's easy. I got to prepare for that, but it's very fun um, because um, you have very good qualified students that are eager. So that, that gets me um, motivated for sure. So um, certainly what I mentioned before is, is, is that I might have done a pr- procedure previously, but for a student that may, may be the first time somebody's teaching them how to do that. So that's not easy, but it's very motivating. Um, being a surgeon uh, and helping people with problems, I'd say the, the hardest part of that job is managing expectations. I think that um, in many different fields of medicine, we treat complex problems, and sometimes the surgery is the first step in recovery, and recovery is kind of a journey, and we get to guide patients, and we get to be a witness of their recovery, and managing expectations for, for people and their families is, is something that I'm constantly learning how to do better. If there was one thing in medicine you could change, like how it's practiced in your field, what do you think it would be? Something to that would make your job easier or how medicine wow. is practiced better? Okay. Well, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I think, and I've, I've thought of that before. So I would say that medicine is, is sort of a team effort. It, it's patients and doctors and different healthcare professionals kind of working towards the same goal. We all want to live healthy, active lives. And I would say that the what would anything that makes like my patients' lives and recovery easier, that would be a big improvement. So if I had to say one thing that would make my job easier is access to healthcare. So a lot of subspecialties uh, uh, nowadays, um, there's limited access, meaning there's limited subspecialists able to take care of uh, increasingly larger populations. Um, Also, there's not a lot of access to subspecialists in, in rural parts of our country. So patients have to travel to see specialists. So if we figure out a way to improve access, whether it's through policy or technology, I mean, I'm, I'm doing a lot of uh, phone calls and virtual visits during the coronavirus pandemic, um, but certainly having improved access to different specialties is good because there's a lot of things that um, I need help from other subspecialists just to help one patient. And coordinating that can be very challenging if, if a patient can't get in to see them or they live far away or, or they don't have a primary doctor that they have access to regularly. Uh, so there are, there are many challenges uh, in medicine and access is, is one of them. Yes, it is a very big problem. I've had doctors before who've mentioned the same thing. They had to go through like miles of red tape just to get to one patient. It's difficult. 
Yeah, that it's it's true, and um, it's frustrating for patients and their families because we all work sort of together in coordination, and and sometimes sometimes surgery is needed right away, or sometimes surgery is needed later on. But certain things need to happen before the surgery can be done safely, and coordinating all those things while trying to uh, not put a extra burden on patients and their families is is certainly uh, a big concern going forward. Yeah, it's a challenge, something that shouldn't have to be dealt with. You're right. You're absolutely right. As an educator, how do you think medical education uh, should change and the practice of medicine with major events like the COVID-19 pandemic and these recent movements for greater social equity? I think that as doctors, we have to be more aware of these healthcare disparities. I think we, you know, medicine is is a is primarily a scientific field, but but you improve people's lives through mostly through human interaction. You know, people don't come in uh, to have surgery by robots. People come in to meet a surgeon and understand what their problem is and understand uh, that there's somebody that's going to help them. And I think that uh, medical education uh, focuses on uh, a lot on communicating. I think we have to learn how to be good communicators to be any type of doctor. Within the coronavirus pandemic, I think that we've learned how to use uh, virtual tools. We, we're doing a lot more virtual learning, virtual conferencing, even virtual visit. And uh, there are some good things about that, but I think that uh, there are some limitations. There's a lot of things that that, uh, that we were previously able to do easily, like examine somebody's wound or, or their body part or see if they have good motion in their knee or their wrist. And those are not perfectly done through a video camera. And um, we're just going to figure things out how to, how to make that better because we still have to teach medical students how to do a very good physical exam. And we are slowly transitioning to uh, resuming some clinical experience for medical students. Uh, a lot of medical schools around the country uh, during the coronavirus pandemic to, for the safety of students, if they were non-essential, uh, most students would not be allowed in a clinical setting. And I think that we're looking at different strategies to uh, complement their education because we do want to continue to educate uh, good doctors in every field. Yeah, definitely. We need to be prepared for every situation. Now that we've like looked into the present and see how medicine is being practiced today, a little bit in the future, I want to look more into your past. You said okay. earlier that your grandparents had turned you on to medicine. Did you have any, any mentors that guided you to medical school and, I don't know, kind of helped you out? So yes, uh, I, did, I definitely had mentors through medical school. And I think that mentors help you on sometimes for a long time or sometimes until the next step. So I did have a mentor uh, during my clinical rotations. I met different surgeons from different specialties that, that sort of uh, helped me increase my knowledge and experience. And, and I ended up deciding towards pursuing orthopedic surgery, and I met some mentors that encouraged me to do that. But uh, I think that primarily throughout my career, um, I was very fortunate.
my grandmother saw me graduate from medical school and become an orthopedic surgeon. And, uh, and she was always somebody that I looked up to and asked for advice in terms of, you know, was I going to be able to go on to the next step? Because applying to medical school is, is a tough process and getting in is not easy, uh, but also getting into uh, a residency, which is the, ne- the, the, the next step after medical school, is once you've sort of decided what how you want to help people and what specialty you want to do that in, you have to apply to a residency training program, and, and that can also be a, a, a difficult process. Yeah, it's very difficult, and you always need someone to guide you. But do you believe that having a mentor is uh, necessary to get to where you are today? Absolutely, and I think that you don't have one mentor. I think that you have multiple along the path. There's people that encourage you to apply to medical school. Um, I think that some people are very highly self-motivated, and have a, a high level of self-confidence, and others, uh, including me, have to have to slowly understand that. And the way you build up your confidence and your motivation is is with encouragement and and developing good habits. So I always had, you know, my grandmother was not a surgeon, but she always encouraged me, believed in me. And when you have somebody like that who became a doctor themselves and is telling you that you're capable of doing it only if you you want it and you are willing to work for it. So, um, yes, mentors are definitely helpful throughout your whole process of college, med school, and, and beyond that. And certainly I still have mentors in my career and people I look up to for, for advice, for specific advice on certain things, but, uh, but certainly having lots of mentors along the way helps build up that self-confidence and sort of feed your motivation to continue uh, because it, it can sometimes look very difficult from, from when you're standing uh, and there's obstacles along the way such as uh, certain tests, certain courses, and getting through those is just the the way forward. And it's kind of like you're being a mentor to all of the people who listen to this podcast. Yes. I think that it's very helpful to hear from other people's experience. Um, You know, sometimes you have a direct mentor, somebody that you interact with. Sometimes you you read a book on somebody else's uh, path to success and how other successful people came about that way. Because yes, I think it has to do with some of the opportunities that are available to you, but certainly you want to take advantage of, of opportunities and, and working hard and, and developing uh, discipline. As a middle school student, what skills must I develop to be successful in your field? I think that not necessarily that are specific to a field. I think that some skills that apply to any kind of success Certainly when you're, when you're studying, whether it's middle, middle school or high school, I would say that developing good habit and reading. I think that I still, I find myself reading mostly medical journals and articles, but I still enjoy reading uh, books uh, outside of the medical field. I, I wish I did it more often. But I think that some of the most successful people are no, I know are people that are very well read and have sort of a, a wide range of knowledge in different uh, fields, you know, doctors or uh, anybody who, who understand history, 
uh, leadership, uh, success, um, any type of book that sort of helps you understand how other people uh, overcame difficulty and, and uh, achieved their goal. So that's, that's very helpful. Yeah, definitely. Because at some point, everything connects and all makes sense. It does. I think that um, having a wide range of skills and knowledge through reading is very good. I think that developing good habits, such as being prepared and being on time, uh, lets other people know how, how dedicated and motivated you are. So those are always good habits to have and develop throughout your personal growth. Yeah. Where do you see the medical industry in 10 years? Wow. I, I wish I, I, <laughs> I had a good answer. I'm going to give it my best try. The medical field in general, I think that I talk to a lot of my colleagues in different fields. Um, I, I work with a lot of cancer specialists. Uh, I work with trauma specialists. Um, and I think that technology will continue to play a big role in the medical field, uh, not just in orthopedics, but in other surgical specialties. We've found ways of using robots to, to decrease errors, to make uh, more consistent, uh, more accurate procedures. So robots can be used in the operating room as assistants to, to be more precise. And um, so I think that's going to continue to evolve. Uh, there's a lot of robotic surgery that other fields have uh, found good success. And also I think that we're going to do more sort of personalized genetic-specific medicine. I think that we're finding ways of treating um, cancers in a more targeted way. And I, and, and I look forward to that uh, advancing even more in the next decade. So it's going to be a combination of, of uh, genetic-specific treatments and robotic-assisted procedures I, I think will be uh, a big uh, improvement over the next decade. Wow, it seems like the medical field is getting much more advanced. Every year it gets better. So final question. What is something that you would recommend to children aspiring to be doctors? I'm going to tell you this. I think that uh, I, when you first invited me, I listened to a few of your episodes, and I would say that you're a very good interviewer. Thank and you. hearing some of the stories of the people you've interviewed were very inspiring. So what you're doing is very inspiring. And one of, one of your guests mentioned to uh, curiosity, and I would, I would have repeat that. I think that as you are in school, uh, finding out what you're interested in, what really uh, excites you, uh, whether it's science, math, communication, and it doesn't have to be one thing. It could be a combination. You can have multiple things that interest you, and you can find ways of combining those interests. So curiosity, very important, is that when you have something that you're interested in and you want to find out more about it, you want to follow that impulse. And then that, that's really uh, very important at this stage. Um, and, and that kind of leads you towards uh, uh, the path that you want. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be good at it right from the start uh, because you have to have an interest in it to get better at it. And uh, once you believe that you are good at something or can be good at something, then you start really advancing and progressing in that direction. So curiosity is probably the most important thing at, uh, at an early age. Yeah, if you're curious, you always learn something new every day. 
That is very true. Okay, well, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. It was incredibly inspiring and interesting. Well, I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And again, thanks for having me. And I look forward to hearing uh, more of your episodes because they're excellent. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. You too.